Ridgerner Nation, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Ridgerners Live, episode number 55. The man known as the Lazy Ultra Runner, aka Chris Roberts. Chris was the assist at this year's Capital Backyard Ultra, making it a whopping 56 or 233 miles. Hear about how his debut in the Backyard Ultra played out. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. What is up, Ridge Runner Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Ridge Runners Live. Long time no see. So stoked to be back. Uh, I'm Cam Wrench, the sixth man of the nation, joining you as always with the lovely John Dolovacki III. John, if you'd like to say hi. Hello, everybody. Uh, it's a great, great day today. Um, I'm excited to be back on the show. It's been a while. We took quite a, quite a few weeks off there, I think. Um, we're all just having a bunch of stuff in life and just happy to get back at it. Kim, who's our guest today? Mm-hmm. Our guest tonight is Chris Roberts. He was the assist runner from the Capital Backyard Ultra, um, which our prediction video for was very incredibly wrong. Um, <laughs> but we're so stoked to have Chris on tonight. He wrote what might be the single funniest ultra running related blog post that I have ever read. Um, and I say that no bullshit, Chris. Um, the, it wasn't the nature of the story. It's an ultra running story we've all heard, but it was the, the delivery of it. Um, but Chris had an excellent performance at the Capital Backyard Ultra. We know so uh, many of y'all out there in the nation love running Backyard Ultras too. Um, that Ohio Backyard Ultra felt almost like a family reunion. There were so many people who seemed to recognize me that it was like, I'm not sure who you are. Like a distant cousin who hasn't seen me since I was a child. But, you know, um, we're so stoked to hear uh, about Chris's story at the race and see what we can learn from him. Uh, so we can put together some better performances like his there. Uh, Chris, how are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm I'm doing all right. Yeah, can't complain. All right, that's great. And uh, we're going to go ahead and then start with our usual first question, which is, what are you drinking tonight? What do you got there, Chris? Um, so I am drinking a Simpler Wines Mango from Trader Joe's, a can of wine cocktail. Very fancy. That That is very fancy. Um, canned wine not something I think we've ever had on the show before. I know Wesley's been of the White Claws. Um, I've had a few too many sleepy time teas probably in the last couple of weeks myself. Uh, and make up for that tonight, I got in the Yeti here a Jackie O's Who Cooks For You, one of our favorites over here. We love Jackie O's down there in Athens. What have uh, you got tonight, John? Uh, I've got this uh, Tempting Hoppy Double IPA from, it's the Two Roads, Road to Ruin Double IPA. It's pretty good. I just tried this one. I just saw this. I always go down the Kroger aisle and the Meyer aisle. And if I see a six pack or a sorted pack that I have not had, I'm like, grab it, put it home, take it home in the beer fridge and try them all out. But I'm excited to get into it. So, so far it's pretty good, but I do have, do have a desire for some Jackie O's. It's been a long time since I've had that. So I'm jealous. I've never heard of this. Is, is it local to Ohio? Jackios. Jackios is in Athens, Ohio. It okay. is um, phenomenal. So if you ever get a chance to get, when you're passing through Columbus again, uh, or anywhere in Ohio, stop and get a six pack of Jackios. Either um, you could do an assortment, but either the Who Cooks, uh, the Mystic Mama's pretty, pretty standard is one of their go tos. They also have like a Raz Wheat and like a Chomolunga, which is like a brown ale. And they have a couple other little uh, IPAs that are out there too, but um, whatever whatever you like there, but those are the main kind of originals. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. And we were chatting before the show about uh, Chris driving through Columbus and how it seems that I live 20 minutes from everywhere in Columbus, even though I live right in the middle of the city. Um, and we said, there's not really a reason to stop if you're just passing through. That's actually the reason. Pick up some Jackie's. <laughs> or if you're passing through Athens, maybe stop down there. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Anyways, Chris, let's let's dig into the race. Um, I want to start by talking about your, your preparation for the race. I, this is something that always interests me because the backyard ultra format it's so it's so widespread. It seems like everybody's done at least one before, and everybody kind of goes about it a little bit differently. Even though there's it seems like there's two main schools of thoughts on how you want to prep for this, um, and whether you want to just train for it like a regular ultra, or you want to do a bunch of backyard ultra specific stuff. Um, but everybody's got the little tweaks. So if you would talk us about, you know, like the physical prep for this race, like were you doing anything different or was it just sort of like your standard training block? Yeah, it was just normal training, to be honest. Um, nothing too specific to the backyard style. Uh, the only thing I will say is that like a year ago, um, 
when you know the COVID shutdowns were in full effect. I did my own little backyard hundred in my neighborhood. Um, so I already kind of had a feel for how it worked out, you know, just doing like a little solo, uh, 24 hours of the backyard style. Um, yeah, like I said, just to get a feel for it. So I wasn't necessarily going into this as my first backyard, like totally blind. Um, but I didn't really feel a need to do any kind of specific training, uh, for that style, just regular running. So. Yeah, absolutely. And then what does, you know, a runner of your says, everybody's always obsessed with like the numbers and miles per week and things like that. But take us through what one of your average training weeks would have looked like then for this, you know, are you getting up and doing intervals on Wednesday before work or is it just the big back-to-back long runs on the weekend? Um, I am honestly, I'm, I'm fairly inconsistent in my training, uh, pretty lazy with it, to be honest. I have two average weeks. Uh, one average week would be when I'm hitting somewhere between 60 and 70 miles a week. Um, maybe I get a good solid uh, speed session in, get some good hills in, have a good long run on the trails with some good vert. Then there's the other average week where I skip a day, then skip another day, skip another day, and the next thing I know, I've got like a 30 mile week and I'm super frustrated. Um, with no speed sessions, no vert, that kind of thing. So it averages it out to maybe like 50 or 60 miles a week in a, on average in a training block. But yeah, not super consistent, to be honest. No, that's actually that's actually really refreshing for me to hear someone who does <laughs> kind of very similar training program where it's like the minute, you know, like I got to stay an extra hour of work. It's just like, there's no way I'm getting out the door. Like I'm cracking up here and I'm going to lay in bed. Yep. Yeah, I definitely have those weeks where it's like, I want to sleep in. And then I got kids' duties, taking them to school and stuff. And then I got to work. And then I got kids' duties again. And then I'm making dinner. And the next thing I know, it's like seven o'clock. And then I got the kids to bed. And it's like, I'm not going to go ahead and run at eight o'clock to try and try and cram something in. So, yeah, try not to worry about it too much. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's super refreshing to hear. It's got me. It's got me feeling a little bit better. Uh, a lot of y'all know JD and I are headed down to Kentucky for Warhammer 50 this weekend not run a step since uh sunday i've been putting in overtime every day at work so here's, here's hoping that i'm just perfectly tapering by taking all the running stress and putting it your, into the life category your legs are going to be super fresh you're going to just fly be great all right and then so um what kind of was your your goal going into this race why did you sign up for it it was um correct me if i'm wrong application only so kind of there was a little bit more of a process. You knew the field was going to be pretty solid going into it. What were your thoughts about that? Yeah. So that was kind of the objective was to get into a backyard that had a, a fairly good field. Um, there's a handful of random backyards out there that I don't know. I just didn't feel like it would be a good fit for me. I, I didn't want to go into something where you might win or not feel like, um, I don't know, not have a good amount of competition. And it's just like 30 or 36 hours, which I had a, pretty good feeling that I'd have no problem with. Um, I just didn't want to be in that position. I wanted to kind of feel what my limits were. Um, so I, I uh, emailed the race director, Sarah, uh, a while back to see about getting in. Um, I'm originally, I, I started running in the DC area a number of years ago, um, even though I moved back to Missouri a couple of years back. Um, so I was pretty well keyed into that, uh, that group of runners, that, that whole uh, that club out there, the Happy Trails Club. So um, that was pretty much the motivation for wanting to do that specific one. Um, you know, kind of like going back home and then also just, I figured there'd be a pretty good amount of talent there. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so when you talk about wanting to hit the goal, then, so for you, it was kind of, it was more about not necessarily winning this race, but seeing, you know, can I make it 36 plus hours instead of, going to one where, well, I'm going to run 124 miles and I'll kind of clean up. Yeah. It was more of a personal thing. Um, like I just, I've, I've run a good number of hundreds, not a lot, but you know, a dozen or so. And I've never really truly felt, you know, totally gassed, totally tired, you know, sleep deprived or anything like that in those races. Um, I like running through the night. Uh, so I had this sense that 36 hours probably wouldn't be a problem for me. And I just kind of wanted to explore between, you know, like 36 hours and 48 hours, what's it feel like to go through a second night uh, without sleep? Uh, how does the body react to that? Um, and this is just the perfect opportunity to, to do that. Absolutely. 
And then, so knowing that you kind of wanted to hit around that 36 hour mark and you'd run about a dozen hundreds, it kind of told us why you felt like you could get there. Did you do any mental prep to get ready for that? Are you on the Headspace app or you just, you kind of knew? Oh my gosh, I wish I had been doing the Headspace app. Um, it might've helped me get some more sleep during the race. Um, no, it's just, I, you know, like I said, I was fairly confident that 36 wouldn't be a problem. I was interested in what would happen between 36 and 48 hours. I kind of had this mental idea that 48 hours was totally doable as long as, you know, nothing went drastically wrong with my body. Uh, and then beyond that, I was just, I had no idea. So, um, yeah, that was, I guess, the best way I could describe the headspace. Uh, I'm not trying to be cocky or anything, but just, I, I felt like 48 hours was something that was feasible and anything less than that, I, I don't know, I had, hadn't really mentally prepared for failure, like below 48 hours. So, yeah. Okay. And so I definitely, it, it kind of seems like when you said you don't mean to sound cocky there, it doesn't, at least it's not coming across to me that way at all. Um, you just, you seem really like you kind of just know your shit and you like know yourself, you know? Yeah. I mean, like an example of that was, so when I did my own little personal hundred mile backyard thing, I, I started it at like 6 PM. So I just did like a normal day of chores and housework and working and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, got to run in at 6 p.m. And by the time 24 hours had gone by, I was like, yeah, I could go do this for another 12 hours, I think. But I kind of wanted to do a movie night with the family. So just stopped. Um, but yeah, when I, I kind of had that experience of getting on the crest of, you know, going into a second night without sleep and didn't really feel like that would have been a problem. Um, so yeah, going into this race, I kind of had that, that similar point of view that it shouldn't really be a problem. So. Okay. And is that is that the kind of thing that you would recommend then maybe in training to prepare for something like this kind of live a normal day and have all those stressors out there and then go do something bigger like this or is that just you're just not waking up at 5 a.m and can't figure it out with family to make it happen yeah i don't know i mean in that in that instance it it was kind of intentional just to, to throw in some additional life stressors you know not going fully fresh on your legs like you just woke up um after the night's sleep uh i don't necessarily recommend that for like regular training, uh, if you don't have a good focus long run or something, I would definitely, I'm not the kind of person that wants to, you know, have a full day of, of work or being on your feet and then go try and bang out eight hours in the middle of the night. Uh, that sounds kind of, kind of rough. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then, um, moving on the other thing that really kind of trips people up, I think at these backyard ultras is, you know, you're bringing your own gear and I, remember at OBU, there was every setup imaginable. There was straight up Taj Mahal's. And then there was a guy who had literally just a tiny little one person backpacking tent right at the front of the corral. He was, he was there and he was ready, but I don't like, I don't know how he was crawling in and out of that thing between every lap. Um, so what was your, what was your gear prep looking like going into this? You said you had, um, you had already done this like homemade backyard 24. What were the big lessons from that? You know, just like having your house there and everything. Yeah. So not only have I done that kind of homemade back there 24, but I've had a couple of epic failures at a 24 hour, uh, 24 hour style, like track or closed loop race, um, where I had my own tent and my own setup with all my gear and, and nutrition and stuff. So this is, you know, this is my first time kind of doing that. I've, I had some lessons learned over the years of just knowing, you know, bring as much gear as you can, as many shoes as you can, have them all laid out, all the clothes and stuff ready to go, you know, have your, your nutrition organized so that you know you know if, if you want to hit certain nutrition marks every hour if it's like 100 ounces of or sorry 100 calories of, of a liquid 100 calories of a gel 100 calories of regular food you kind of got everything broken up into its little components it's easy to, to access um quickly so yeah it's kind of having everything organized and ready to go um so i didn't feel like that random dude that's like oh i set up a backpacking tent now I have to crawl into it every single time. Yeah, I don't know. I'm almost certain that that guy lasted longer than I did. <laughs> so, I mean, kudos to him. Um, I mean, you're probably getting a good stretch in every, every time. So. Yeah, that's for sure. And he was he was a lot closer, in my defense, to the uh, the starting corral. So, um, <laughs> But, yeah. So, then, uh, Chris, what would you say is sort of like your number one, like, preparation tip in each of these categories for people going into my apologies about that car out there if anybody just heard that 
Um, but your number one tip going into a backyard ultra for our listeners, you know, what is something that they want to, they want to take away from this? What would you tell them? Um, I mean, if you're nutrition wise, just make sure you understand what it is that you need and have that organized and ready to go so that it's not something that you waste time on. Um, and then in terms of like the headspace or preparation, just, I mean, just generally speaking goes for almost any race, but just know yourself, know, know what you're capable of, just understand what, what you think your limits are. Um, yeah. So yeah. With that, um, moving forward towards like the actual race day itself with all those different prep pieces, um, like for, for you, for you in your case, when did kind of like the first race started beginning? Cause obviously the first couple of loops are just kind of like warm ups, And as things get moving forward, when, when did it start to become more of a challenge or more of a, an experience at that point? I mean, through the first 24 hours, I kept joking with the race director that it just it felt like a warm up that I was just waiting for the warm up to be over. Um, Cause the pace to me just felt like it felt like you're just trying to go as slow as possible. Um, after a few laps, I, I honestly, I started walking the final half mile of the lap just to kind of see how, see what happened. Um, and it was doing well time to help slow me down. So it just kind of felt like that. Like I'm, I'm intentionally walking more than I want to, to keep things slow and easy. And that just kept, going hour after hour after hour um and honestly even into the second night it didn't feel much like a race it didn't feel too difficult uh the real problems kind of started around the 50 to 52 hour mark and then kind of escalated rather quickly from there um so by that point it was already down to just me and steve uh before i would say anything felt uh truly difficult or taxing now, and what okay. was that? What was that mental back and forth with Steve about? Like, so, like, were you like watching him to see how he was doing and and trying to keep track of that, or for were you just not really caring about that until until later in the race? Or, I mean, I didn't really care about it too much. Like, to be honest, my 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 objective wasn't you know to win the race. It was just to kind of go out there and explore, you know, have this have this adventure, you know, understand this uh this race format a little bit better. Um, but yeah, I mean obviously when you're running beside somebody for so many hours uh, especially alone just he and i for a number of hours you get a good sense of of what they're doing and he was just extremely controlled extremely in charge of his own plan every single lap he's just like a metronome and he was getting a good you know handful of minutes of sleep in for every interloople interyardal whatever you want to call it um so he just looked in charge and on top of things just very well put together all the time, even to the very end. So at some point that kind of, kind of gets to you when you're like, Oh, I'm feeling great. And then two hours later, you're like, Oh, I feel terrible. And looking over at him, he just looks the same. So. Yeah. And to rewind back a second, um, you'd mentioned walking the last half mile of each yard or each lap um, during that first day. What was your, your pacing strategy? Like, did you go into it knowing like, I'm going to run 55s on the dot. I'm going to come in at that end uh, at the end of every yard and then 52s at night because it's on the road and it's a little bit easier or were you just taking things as they came? So first thing, we didn't have a road night loop. It was all the same loop the whole, the, the, the whole time. Um, but I didn't really have a, a goal time in mind. 50 minutes kind of seemed like it made the most sense to me. Um, I knew that I wanted to be walking almost every uphill uh, just to kind of conserve energy. So you don't have to spend it, you know, and you're getting in a good amount of time and don't, don't even try. Um, I will say the one thing I, I learned from my, my personal backyard that I did in my neighborhood was that I intentionally went out for the first 12 or 14 hours at, at something more akin to like a 24 hour or hundred mile pace. And it would get me in in like 35 to 38 minutes for every loop. And then I'd have this 20 plus minute gap of time. And I found that my legs would cool down a little too much. So just, you know, after 12 hours of that, where you're, you're basically cooling down your, your muscles for 20 plus minutes every hour, it felt terrible. And then, so I started backing it off and figured out, <laughs> I can't, I don't, it feels uncomfortable to go even slower. So let's walk a little bit here and there, then walk every hill. Um, that started getting me into a good rhythm 
you know, when I was when I was testing this out a year ago, and you get to that point where your muscles aren't really cooling down that much, you're just getting in this nice little groove. So I, that's that's the, uh, the pacing strategy I went into with this was just kind of walk the uphills as long as you're getting in in a good time, you know, at around 10 minutes to go, um, give or take a couple minutes. That uh, you, you should be, you know, your muscles shouldn't cool down too much. You should get a, a decent amount of rest, um, have enough time to kind of do gear changes or whatever you need to do without too much stress. So, and it, and it worked out fairly well for the first two days. Sounds um, pretty familiar too. I think it was Jacob and Gabe rainwater down at when they did bigs. That's I think was their strategy. It was walking uh, a large portion of the last mile or something like that to try to manage the time a better, a bit better. Yeah. And so with, with this loop, the, the last half mile was either flat or downhill for most of it. And so like, I just was in this frame line, like I don't want to run a quarter mile downhill if I don't have to, like kind of keep the legs from, from getting overly pounded. Um, there's another stretch on the loop that was basically a mile to mile and a quarter of straight downhill slash flat, like no uphills at all. And it feels kind of weird to say, it, but like 10 to 12 minutes of running in this format was just very weird. It felt like you're just working too much. Um, so it was nice to kind of take it down a notch in the last half mile and just, you know, kind of start cooling down your body a little bit um, and not pounding the legs too much. Yeah. It didn't work very well later on because we would get like, 40 degree temps with a, with a headwind on this exposed final half mile. And you're just like, I want to get in. I want to get, I want to get to my tent. There's rain, it's cold, it's blowing in my face. Um, I don't want to walk. So um, yeah, tried to walk when I could. Okay. And so with that said, what was your, um, what was your sort of strategy for dealing then with that last section where, you know, you've talked about getting a little bit too cold, but if you're walking that in, I know I'm the kind of person I'll lose heat very quickly if I'm walking all of a sudden, especially after running for a long time. Were mm-hmm. you wearing a jacket for that or anything? Or are you just kind of just power walking it in and you're like, I'll get warm again in a minute, you know? Jackets were our friend. I mean, the temperatures, they, it was 80 degrees almost, it felt like by the end of the race, but the first two days it was mid forties to, to upper fifties, um, day and night with rain intermittent, uh, most of the time and, and, a, and a decent amount of, of wind for a good part of that. So you'd start out feeling cold on a loop and you'd have this exposed section where you're going through a field. So you had to have a jacket on, which is kind of stupid not to, but then you get into the tree line and it'd be, you know, kind of humid and muggy. So you have to even though it's chilly, but there's no breeze, and so you got to take your jacket off. And then the last half mile, you're going into an exposed section again, so you got to throw it back on. So there's a lot of on and off, on and off that jacket, um, multiple jackets over those two days. I probably went through, I think, four rain jackets, uh, all told. How many pairs of shoes? Uh, I don't know. Probably four pairs of shoes and six pairs of insoles, something like that. I don't know. So. That's very interesting. I've never heard somebody mention more insoles than shoes. Uh, are you wearing an aftermarket insole then, I assume? It, somebody give you no, more support? That was uh, an interesting situation where I had a a, uh, a nerve that was flaring up between my toes. And so I just needed extra padding um, under, my, under the balls of my feet. So the solution was to throw a second insole from the same style of shoe in there um, just to give that extra little bit of padding. And it, it did the trick. Um, but yeah, and so for, I would say probably 150 of the miles, I had this, I'd never done it before, but you know, two insoles and then extra weird padding crammed in between the insoles and um, it worked. So was that just like an on the fly repair? I, I assume then you just were like, I'll send it. We'll see how this goes on this lap. And if it doesn't work, I'll just change it again. Yeah. I mean, I came in when, when the, the nerve problem started flaring up or it literally felt like I was stepping on a sharp rock. It was just digging into my, my toes, my, into the ball of my foot every single step. And, um, one of the aid station workers is like, let's get you some, um, uh, let's get you some padding or, um, you know, something from a, a med kit that they put in there. And we, we stuck it, uh, over one of the insoles and it just didn't feel quite right. So I put another insole on top of that and it was just like doubling the padding just it worked wonders um and since it was the same shoe 
style that the insoles came from. I think everything was fine. I tried mixing it up a little bit later on when I went to a different pair of shoes and I immediately was getting weird, like hot spots um, <laughs> within one lap. So mm-hmm. I had a bail on that, but yeah, it's kind of interesting where you can make those decisions and then not be disastrous in this format. Like you can go to a new, like I went to a pair of road shoes at one point just for one lap. I thought it might feel good, but they ended up, you know, causing terrible hot spots just because my foot had swollen a little bit too much for these shoes. And, you know, just knowing it only lasts four miles and you can throw them off and do something else. Um, kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in a weird way, backyard ultras are very, very high stakes and also very low stakes because you can't really have uh, a, I'm going to put this in air quotes, a bad lap, right? Quote unquote, because you can't spend, well, most people speed wise can't spend 20 minutes puking by the side of the road in one of these, but yeah. you can have a lap where you're having wild blister problems. If you can still come in, give or take a couple minutes on what your normal time is, you can handle that really easily during yeah. that interlupal period. Yeah. It can be very forgiving in that respect, which is kind of nice. Mm-hmm. And then, so that thing about doubling the insoles, that's, that's so interesting to me. I feel like I got to like put that in my back pocket and like bring it out sometime. I've oh yeah. I've already thought about that for like my next hundred miler. Like, do I just throw an extra pair of insoles like in my, mm-hmm. in my pack? And, <laughs> and if that, uh, if that nerve problem creeps back up and just throw them in for a couple minutes on the side of the trail and go back at it. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, especially in a drop bag, like something like that takes up so little space. Yeah. Uh, and it, it felt literally like a brand new pair of shoes, even though the insoles and the shoes themselves have been worn for probably like 250 miles for each pair, but just doubling up on them, it felt brand new. So. I'm like, I'm like almost intrigued enough to like try that on like a shakeout. Um, <laughs> I'll have to re- the report back, but um, moving on from that um, in this you spent a lot of time, especially because it was just the one single loop for the whole course. You spent a lot of time with that loop. What would you say was your favorite part of the course at the Capitol Backyard Ultra? Uh, I really, I, I don't know. I don't think I had a favorite part uh, being mm. done with the loop. I guess. <laughs> I mean, you started and it was just a half mile of exposed running and it was cold and windy. You're running just directly into a headwind and you just felt cold. And then the, the trail wasn't bad. Like the middle part with the trail wasn't bad. And for a while, there's like, like I said, there's this 10 to 12 minute downhill slash that flat section, which, you know, if you're feeling good, you just kind of open up your legs and, and fly through it, which is nice. But then also later on, it just felt like it would go on forever. And you just wanted to be done with it and you hated it. Um, towards the end, there's some good hills that you can walk. And it's like, if you're walking every uphill, towards the end, there's a good section of uphills. So it just felt like the last... Last mile and a quarter of the race, you could pretty much just walk almost the whole thing and still not feel like you're being super lazy um, since there's so much uphill. So I guess that was probably my favorite part, having the uphills towards the end of the lap. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess, I mean, that makes sense. Um, No, and you just, you saw all of it so much, you're like, none of this stands out. None of this is fun. Um, My follow-up after that was going to be, what was your, your least favorite part of the course? Maybe you have an answer for this one. I mean, it was just the exposed section at the very beginning. It just it mm-hmm. shook you awake and your legs just felt so tight and stiff and it felt like you weren't moving at all. And it was just, you know, especially the first day and a half where it was just cold wind, just like going right into your face with the rain. So definitely my least favorite part. Absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. And um, going from that, then what was your most challenging moment? out there on the course um so like the most challenging i would say was everything felt fine until maybe the 52nd hour i think i don't know exactly what hour but like literally before that um steve and i were talking about how we just felt amazing and this could go on forever and we just and i was honestly a little concerned because i didn't want to go forever (laughs) i still had like an 800 900 mile drive to get back to Missouri and but yeah everything felt great until I think it was about the 52nd hour and by that time I hadn't I hadn't had a single second of sleep um in two plus days and it caught up with me and I had some caffeine that I've been taking I I don't use caffeine in my daily life so I'm pretty sensitive to it and I had a weird this is a total caffeine crash 
Um, and then my feet were feeling weird, whiskers were popping up and I was starting to hallucinate pretty badly and just like losing track of time on the course on that lap. And you know, it was starting to get hotter and just like everything came together at once and just it felt terrible. And uh, usually I was in front of Steve after the first half mile or mile just because we had a slightly different um, strategy on the course. And he came up on me at one point. I felt like he was just railroading me at one point towards the end of that lap. And I was like, how did this happen? Um, I just, and he drug me along basically to the end of the loop. Like I just tried so hard to, to stick with him, uh, but I felt totally dead on that lap. Um, it was, yeah, hands down the worst part of the whole, the whole race. Mm -hmm. And we'll go, we'll do a complete 180 from that and ask you, what was your, your moment of most joy out on the course? Like, what made you the, the happiest during this race? I can't say that I was truly happy at all <laughs> during this race because, I mean, it was boring. Um, I mean, no, nothing against the race format or, or the race itself. But, yeah, it was just not my, my style. Um, so probably the happiest part was finally deciding that I wanted to be done with it and I just wanted to quit. So. That's, yeah. that's another thing. That's just such a refreshing answer because usually you a question like that. Somebody's got like some great story about a volunteer or another runner or like seeing their crew after a long time. And you're just like, no, none of that. I mean, just, so I, I will say mm -hmm. when I had a terrible hour, the mm -hmm. very next hour was great. So like the shift between terrible and awesome probably puts that next hour in like the top spot for being one of the best moments. But and it wasn't, it wasn't due to me at all. It was entirely, I came in feeling like crap. And these folks who, um, folks from the Happy Trails Club out there in Virginia um, that I knew, that I'd known for years, they basically just made it a mission to get me back out there and make me feel good. So, you know, they took care my feet right after that lap. Um, like gross stuff, like putting goo on my feet and letting my air out and massaging my feet. <laughs> and uh, getting me food that I needed. And I got some new... Uh, I got some more caffeine in me, got some food and everything. And when I went out on the next lap, I, I felt amazing for about 15 or 20 minutes. So it was a very stark contrast in that like 30 minute time period of going from feeling like death to not quite feeling on top of the world, but feeling like I could go a little bit longer. So, and that was, you know, purely due to those, those folks that were helping me out. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's interesting how people can affect you when you're out there doing stuff like that. Um, yeah. I will say I, I was, I broke down crying uh, in that lap when I, my recovery lap after the, the horrible lap, just because I just felt so grateful for like all the help that those guys had, had given me. And you know, like, I didn't ask anybody to be my crew. I was out there for the better part of two days, completely uncrewed. Um, but like I knew them and they wanted to help me. And at that point I was just like, yes, <laughs> I need all the help I can get. And just, yeah, just being overwhelmed with gratefulness um, for that, just, that literally broke me down um, in the middle of the race on that next lab. The highs and lows of ultras. <laughs> I was crying is not out of, it's not out of the ordinary for me on a hundred milers and, and stuff like that. So it wasn't entirely unexpected. Um, I've been known to just ugly cry up a <laughs> steep climb at mile 80 in a, in a race. So Nice. Um, we have a question from Eric Anderson in the chat. It said, if John Anderson was the last one left, how much further could he have gone? <laughs> uh, I'd probably still be going, to be honest. Or, I don't know, we'd probably only go a couple more laps and then John would quit. Um, yeah. I feel like there's John's a, getting old. I almost feel like there's some extra inside stories there. Um, uh, John, John Anderson is my running nemesis, uh, from the East coast. So he's, uh, we've, we've honestly, whenever we race, whenever we're in the same race together, there's probably like a 90% chance we're going to finish back to back. Um, in the race, it's really weird. Never yeah. intentional, but happens a lot. And he bested me. He, he beat me at Hellgate this past year. So kind of rough one. I've had to stew over that for about six months. Yeah. Wesley just popped in the chat and said, uh, Best rivalry, rivalry in the East Coast ultra running scene. Um, also, Wesley, this is your day off. You're not supposed to be in the chat as well. <laughs> but 
Good game. Yeah, with this day off, you really should like. I don't see the thing about that prediction video is I was in one for the first time. There's there's no process. You might as well be throwing darts at a dartboard. Um, <laughs> it just it's like, come on, man. I know what time you get off work in Utah. Like, dude, just get on ultrasound. Read some race results. Yeah, on the uh, the predictions for this this race, I was honestly I was very surprised that uh, Steve Slavey wasn't up there. I mean, that didn't make any sense to me. I'm gonna call him out on that one. Oh we, yeah, trust me. We we call them out plenty. Yeah, I actually have an Excel sheet where I have um go back through and calculate his total correct guessing percentage. <laughs> um and it is it was on the rise, but it it dropped pretty dramatically. <laughs> How bad was uh Promised Land? Was it is that a pretty bad I don't think yes. Promised Land was bad. Promised Land was one of his best performances, yeah. actually. Is that just because of Michael Owen? Did he just ride the Michael Owen steam train there? He, he probably he just absolutely asked Michael. rode the Michael <laughs> Owen Sarah Beale steam train to victory there. I'm not going to lie. It's uh, it's hard to bet against those two at that race um, with that field, but... Yep. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw that uh, the Mike, Michael, was uh, he's in Wasatch now. I've got Wasatch coming up, and there's a moment where I was just like, yeah, I could be really well at Wasatch. And then I saw his name on there, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I should temper my expectations a little. Yeah, he seems to be doing pretty well from his recoveries. Um, I think he was out with that little injury this past year or whatever, and he was doing a lot of biking, so he seems to be doing pretty well this year, though, so far. That's good to hear. Um, Wesley says the 24-hour team is out to get him. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah. So moving back into the race a little bit more, I think the next uh, section is funniest moment of uh, this race. Yeah. Um, so well, I, guess I think we you should... guys are, are aware of what the funniest moment probably is. From so if you guys don't already, uh, Chris has a blog. It's called the the Lazy Ultra Runner, right? Yeah. You should go read it. Um, we might we'll talk about it a little bit, but you should read it because the visualization that you get reading it is is <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, so, enjoy. It's it's a lovely read. It's uh, fun for the whole family. <laughs> fun for the whole family. Yes. Well, the story of mm-hmm. cooping woes. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll dig into that in a second. But you know, you let us know you had another uh, had another funny moment out there. What was that? One? So, in hindsight, there's a number of funny hallucination moments. I've never hallucinated before beyond you know, like the typical "I'm a little tired, that tree looks like a bear" kind of thing. But um, there's a moment, uh, probably around dawn on the third day so just around the 48 hour mark i think it was just me and steve left i was a little bit ahead of them kind of going up this very slight incline and there's these yellow things on the ground and i swore that they were rubber duckies just sitting on the ground and like i've been on the course for two days straight and i never saw rubber duckies there before like daylight or it's just dawn so no one should have been out there dropping rubber duckies like little kids running around but there's rubber duckies on the trail it's it's so confusing to me and i was convinced that they were rubber duckies i was trying to like convince myself like why they would be there and then i stopped and i just turned around after i passed them i turned around to to steve and i was like do you see these ducks these rubber duckies on the on the trail and like the look on his face was priceless because it was just like you're an idiot i have no idea what you're talking about and then also i've got you in a bag like, just, <laughs> like you can just see on his face like this is awesome <laughs> um and then the next lap i went i because i'd already passed them and then i wasn't going to go back but the next lap i went uh ran by him again and i like judiciously stopped and inspected these rubber ducks and it was weird flower petals they were yellow um they had this kind of like I don't know, waxy scene to them. I picked them up and said, yeah, from a distance, they did kind of look like rubber ducks. But like there was a solid minute where I was just absolutely convinced that there's rubber ducks on the trail. Um, and I couldn't figure out why, but I was trying to like concoct reasons in my head from like two days of sleep deprivation, like why there would be rubber ducks on the trail. So. I, have an, I have a new goal at uh, a backyard ultra. I'm just going to start dropping random rubber duckies and stuff <laughs> just on the course. <laughs> 
Yeah. I also saw like a uh, one of those old like hatchback gremlins, those those cars. It was parked on the side of the trail, and it wasn't there the previous you know forty eight or fifty hours. But I spent a solid number of minutes convincing myself that there's a reason why it was there, why somebody parked it there and covered it with leaves, and yeah, it was, it was weird. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, those are rather humorous moments for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the idea of like you being like Steve, like what's what's going on with this, and he's just been like, dude, this this is over. That's that's really funny to me. Yeah, the next hour I was like, "Yep, I feel like a total idiot." (laughs) Yeah, because you you never hear that with a hallucination story. It's always somebody, you know, like the most famous ones are like Courtney's from the two hundreds. You know, it's nobody's ever just like, "Oh, geez, you're in bad shape." They're all just like, "Whoa, it's so cool! You ran till you hallucinated." Yeah, and to his credit, Steve didn't say anything to me. I don't believe, but it was very much written on his face. Absolutely. And so with that said, you spent plenty of time just out there with Steve. Uh, was there any trash talk going back and forth? I know I've heard a little bit at Backyard Ultras, uh, me and Alex Jackson spent a lot of time talking about the barking cats and partying down in the bottoms at OBU in March. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not, like I said, I wasn't, I'm not really in a super competitive mindset when I go to race. Um, and I wasn't out there necessarily to win. So I wasn't, I wasn't, like gonna be all trash talking and stuff um especially when steve just seemed like he had his his he had it together the whole day the whole race um but there was a there was a time when after about 48 or 50 hours i was like all right we've gotten a good amount in let's just go a little bit longer and i i was like concocting this plan in my head and, and sharing it with steve like how are we going to end this can we can we just can we end this at some point um you can have the win that's fine I don't, I don't care about that. Um, let's just get enough where, you know, I have a good assist. And, and his response was always like, yeah, whatever. I'll just do another lap. You know, it's like, if you show up, I'm going to show up and do another one regardless. So plan all you want. Um, we had a, a very self-assuredness there that he was going to, he was going to outlast me no matter what. So. But no overt trash talking, I would say. That's it's very interesting. It seems, I mean, it seems sort of similar to how you talked about like your, your goals and expectations going into it. Um, whereas yours was just, I'm going to get the best out of myself. His was just maybe I'm outlast everybody here, which feels like a very, a very different thing to think about prior to the race. Yeah. And so I, re- I mean, part of it is I'm just not a super fast runner. Um, so going for the win is not really something i'm accustomed to and it's not something that honestly really would make a big deal of um to me it's always like in a race when you get like top three or top five you get the 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 free patagonia swag something like that that's really about the extent of it um again unless john anderson is in front of me and then i'm trying my hardest to to pass him um but other than that yeah i try not to be too competitive so Mm Another question in the uh, another question in the chat from Eric says we're supposed to ask you about your experience at Hurt One Hundred. At Hurt, oh, throwing that out there random. I mean, so Hurt was a great race. I mean, I anybody that wants to enjoy a hundred miler, Hurt is is fascinating. It's just it's it's just an amazing race. Um, you know, you're in the jungle and everything is straight. It's slow and technical. So, you know, someone like me can do pretty well there just because I'm not super fast, but I like the grind. Uh, but yeah, at the very end of the race, uh, the last I don't know, 10 miles or so, this guy that I didn't know of at the time, but it was uh, uh, Tomo, uh, who's recently finished a, uh, um, a Barkley fun run a couple years ago. He, he passed me like, just like a bullet on this one uphill climb. He had his poles, just kind of going like crazy. And I, he knocked me into fifth place and I was like, screw it. Like, I'm not going to chase this guy. He's going just way too fast. So I casually make my way up to the, the final climb uh, and start heading back down. And my legs feel good after 97 miles or whatever. So I just start hammering. Um, I really like you know, hammering downhills, especially when I'm feeling good. So I hit that final downhill going into the, the finishing area. And I'm just flying and the finish is right. It, it's, it's this nature center. And right before the finish, there's like this hairpin turn on 
a handicap walkway on a handicap ramp. I pop out of the woods and I'm going like, again, probably like five minute mile pace. It's like flying downhill. And there's Tomo a couple of yards ahead of me at the, at the turn of this, uh, of this handicap walkway. And I just, I can't react or slow down in time. And I end up, I end up basically barreling into him and knocking him into the fence and bouncing off. And just in this adrenaline moment, I just shot off to the finish, like a total a-hole. Um, and then the moment I finished, I just kind of like collapsed and just, Oh, I was, I was beside myself with just like, uh, with, Oh, it was terrible. Um, I couldn't talk to anyone. I was just, I, I felt sick to my stomach. Like I was going to throw up and then he just casually comes on in and like I had to apologize to him and all this stuff. And I had to go to the race director and ask the race director to, uh, to roll back my time. So, so Tomo could be ahead of me. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was super embarrassing. Um, it was a really weird finish though. I kind of half part of me blames the finish. It's just rain right into him. There's nothing I can do about it, but yeah. That's super glad uh, Eric Anderson asked that question. That's the first time I've heard of anybody making ultra running a physical sport. Um, maybe it's some use for the football background at uh, Rim to River when Wesley comes yeah, around the corner. Yeah, I felt like a defensive tackle. Um, <laughs> it was really embarrassing. That's yeah, that's fascinating. I love I love the like straightforward like honesty like when you, you talk about the emotions with like what, how you felt and stuff like that. And especially like when you're also you're talking about like being out on on the Capitol backyard course and you're like, I didn't like any of it. I just I wanted to be done. It's great. And yeah, even at the beginning, like the weeks where you have like the two different training weeks, because that was probably the most relatable thing I've ever heard someone in ultra running saying. And that one needs to be up on like one of those ultra meme channels. <laughs> Cause that's good. I mean, we all have crappy training weeks and I, like, I'm not, I'm not a super talented athlete or anything. I don't do anything special. I'm not super fast. And yeah, I definitely struggle with those situations. Like everyone else, like I have so many 30 mile training weeks that were meant to be 80 miles and awesome and just turn into total crap. So it is what it is. And so this will be our, um, our last capital backyard ultra related question before we get into, um, before you get into your, your story, uh, from the Porta John, but what was your, your best and your worst food over your three days out there? So my best foods, I brought all my own stuff, like fully intending on my aid station being in the only stuff that I would, that I would need. Um, but I would occasionally wander over to the real aid station and it had some banana pancakes, which were freaking amazing. Um, they just hit the spot. They're perfect. And then on that third day when it was starting to get hot, um, I got some, you know, it was, it was just me and Steve. So these, you know, aid station folks had nothing else to do. <laughs> I to cater the, to these two runners, very odd circumstances to find yourself in but they're coming over with just like different types of smoothies and stuff like that and i had like a mango smoothie i think and it was it was amazing especially when it's like it feels like 100 degrees but it was really only like 80 um just to have a a nice freshly made smoothie was pretty cool so and then the worst i don't know about worst foods but i had a, a long period maybe 12 hours or so where i had this random acid reflux problem and every single thing I ate that had like the slightest bit of acidity to it um, would just cause this weird, like just acid feeling in my throat. Uh, it was, it was terrible. So just anything that 12 hours was, was pretty difficult to get down. Uh, no matter how good it tasted, even those banana pancakes were, were pretty rough. So. All right. And then, so um, everyone who's listening to this, even if you're listening to this way off in the future, this story is a podcast. You randomly found it because Chris won Western States in seven years or something, uh, something like that. But yeah, go back and find <laughs> find uh, this blog post that he wrote. Um, just sort of like his his quick short recap, Capital Backyard Ultra, um, and read that because it's it's worth it. It's a quick read. But um, Chris, do you want to relate to us the story from that blog post as best you can now? Um, yeah. So by the way, I've switched it up now. I have a Boulevard Space Camp Cosmic IPA. Nice. Um, to set the mood. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I had a, a pooping situation. Uh, everyone poops 
and ultras. It happens. Uh, this was two days into the ultras in the middle of the night. It was raining. I had no toilet paper left. Um, and so I had to use leaves, not a big deal, but it was really wet and there's no good quality leaves. I just didn't get a very good wipe to be honest. Um, and so when I was done, I, I, you know, finished the loop and got back to the, uh, the aid station. And I knew just, I, I knew the moment I had gotten done pooping that I was gonna have to change my shorts. Uh, so I ran to the porta potty, had a different pair of shorts on and I was just trying to clean up and, uh, the toilet paper wasn't doing the job. Uh, so I, I was like, I need something wet. I need wet wipes, but like, I'm not gonna, you know, like walk out without any shorts on and be like, guys, yeah, someone give me wet wipes. Um, so I looked around in the porta potty and the options were, um, you know, rubbing alcohol, basically hand sanitizer. And that didn't sound very pleasant. So I saw some, uh, it, it was, I'm, I'm still going to claim that it was condensation, but it was condensation water droplets on the side of the uh, porta potty that I just wiped up with some toilet paper and use that to, uh, clean my bottom, uh, the next day, mental clarity had me realizing that there was no 100% guarantee that that wasn't perhaps somebody else's liquids. Um, but it is what it is. And see, so this is, this actually segues perfectly into my number one piece of ultra running and just general life gear advice, which is get yourself a bidet. Um, you know, Chris is out there, middle of the night, fumbling for liquids, you know, he's got to get clean, right? We've all found ourselves in a situation like that. The bidet provides the liquids. It's, it's already there for, and you know what? You don't have to worry about whose they are because you get to fill it. I get a travel one, you know, you just pop it in the gear bag. It takes up no space. I'm just, I'm, I'm adamant about this. This is my hill that I'll die on. I mean, I don't understand why this porta potty didn't have like functioning water and like a nice little bidet you know, attachment right there that you just clean yourself off in. Why is that, why is that too much to ask for? Especially at ultra running ones. Like that should I be a know. thing. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're next, already like wet and sweaty year, anyways. Next year at Capitol Backyard, there's going to be like a fresh shower over here and like a nice little bidet station. It's going to be great. Mm -hmm. That would, if Sponsored that is by a, me, I will pay yeah. for it. <laughs> if that's a, if that's a porta potty option in the U in the United States that exists, I'm a, I'm a couch within the United States because there's other places where the day is standard and I don't want to, I don't lose this. Uh, there's a six pack of beer on me for somebody who finds that supplier, uh, just because I'm going to send it to Michael Owen every day until he starts to go with them, uh, for his races. And if there's not, we need to make a new business. There you go. It's not, I don't know if it's going to be very lucrative, but I don't got to do the work. I just got to start the company. <laughs> Let someone else clean it. But yeah, do they really make travel ones? They do. They're, they're not so, there's, there's a huge variety. Of, they're not like you can get one for like 10, 15 bucks. Hmm. Fascinating. Did not know they made travel size. Well, yeah, that about uh, wraps up the Capital Backyard Ultra. Uh, there's a couple more things we want to chat about. And then because we're having you on for the first time, Chris, we got some quick questions we want to throw at you real quick. But this very first one I want to ask real quick is, you know, live in Missouri, right? There's there's this big debate. Everything in ultra running, everybody seems to be East Coast, West Coast, right? But like, there's a whole lot of the country that's neither of those coasts. Um, Ohio is neither, I'd argue, in fact. But how do you kind of feel being a being a Missouri runner? Where do you think you stand on that? Just kind of a no man's land? I hate it. Um, <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love having moved back to Missouri to be closer to my family. Um, it's great to have that support, especially, you know, when you're in a situation where you're going to go disappear for six days to do a stupid race. Um, but, uh, yeah, I miss the mountains. Uh, I really wish I was an East coast runner still. Um, I'd like to find a way to make that happen again at some point in the future. But, I don't know. I do. I miss the mountains. I don't think there's any, there's no real substitute. I mean, no matter how much I can crank up my treadmill, and get in some quality bird on the treadmill. It's just, it's not the same. So. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was out uh, West for the very first time a couple of weeks ago, visiting was the Utah. It's, you don't know it until you're in them, but yeah, there's, there's nothing to simulate that. No stairway or, you know, incline for an overpass that, yeah, you're absolutely spot on on that. 
Yeah, like the biggest hill in my area is like 300 to 500 feet, depending upon how you, you know, navigate it. But it's it's nothing compared to like solid 3,000 foot climbs. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. 3,000 foot descent. I think that's where the real money is. Mm-hmm. And so you've also got uh, another race coming up, Black Hills 100 in two weeks. How are you feeling about that? I don't know. That was, that was a stupid decision. <laughs> um again the, the background on that is that john anderson beat me at hellgate and i feel really bad about that i feel angry and he signed up for black hills so i thought i'm gonna sign up for black hills and ruin his day um i don't know if it's gonna work out that way right now because uh i don't think any coach would advise a uh 230 plus mile training run to finish off the training block for a race <laughs> That's basically where I find myself right now, <laughs> trying to recover from a super long run. Um, how it could be rough? How is your recovery currently? Actually, are you able to walk? Yeah, I mean, like physically, it wasn't bad. I mean, the the race didn't really have a physical pull on me, aside from, you know, I got tight tendons and that my feet felt really beat up. Um, so right now, I'm just doing like light running trying to make sure I get those tendons you know, stretched back out and my feet stop screaming at me with the, the nerve problems. But uh, like, like the muscles themselves, like my quads and hamstrings and, and calves feel totally normal. Like they can get back into regular training. Um, I just can't. <laughs> the rest, the tendons and the feet don't want me to do it. So, so you have to do that uh, double sole thing again. <laughs> Probably. I have a feeling that's going to happen. I had to buy some some shoes for for Black Hills that have a little bit more cushion than normal, and yeah. Well, we wish you the best uh, of luck there. Um, And we've got some quick questions here that we want to run through, since you are a first time guest on the show. Uh, First question we got: What's one thing you can't leave an aid station without? Um, I don't know. I'm pretty light when it comes to aid station stuff so i'd say my shoes uh, <laughs> this is the first time i heard that before that's that's like, a great would answer. you leave an aid station without your shoes if uh-huh. i took them off i guess i would not want to live without them there you go um what about pre-race rituals i don't have any i'm not really a ritual person um i don't know nothing good for you there so no, no pre-race meal no I'm not very consistent. Not consistent with my training, not consistent with my rituals. Sorry. Yeah. That's that's good. I mean, a lot of those we hear, I just I I hear them and I'm just like, oh gosh, that sounds awful. Like I I repeat the same mantra in my head 20 times and yeah, no. Yeah. I just I I still can't fathom the idea of Wesley eating a whole whole pint of ice cream before every race. Um it's just that sounds truly horrifying for the next morning. Like, why would you do that to yourself? (laughs) That's a bad idea. Yeah. What about um post-race meal? It depends. I mean, sometimes after hundreds, I'm just totally cashed and I can't eat or stomach anything. Sometimes a burger sounds good, sometimes it's know some granola um this last time around i had a, a bagel and cream cheese and it was pretty much the most amazing thing i ever ate so i don't know and i don't even like bagels and cream cheese that much so, you know. when we when we finished nomi's or because cam was down with me we ran for the 50k down there and then when i finished i walked up to my car and I, there was a, a half a bagel with cream cheese left over from breakfast that i had eaten driving down that morning and i very strongly debated whether or not i wanted to eat it because i was just very very hungry <laughs> Hot, it was car just a, cream cheese. A hot cream cheese bagel in aluminum foil, and I was like, mm, I don't know if I should do that, but I really want it. <laughs> um, I'll let what uh, Cam get the next question here. It's probably his favorite question, I think. Yeah. Um. So big fan of group playlists. Uh, just shout out to my team at work. We actually made a really great one today. Um, but so if we've got a playlist we've been building from all of our guests here. And our question is, is if ultra running had walk-up songs like baseball, what would yours be? So mine would probably be, why can't we be friends? Um, again, not super competitive. That's probably the best reflection of my mental state going into a race. Uh, but also I've been uh, rocking out pretty hard to Taylor Swift lately. So any mellow Taylor Swift music would, would 
satisfy that as well. Okay, we'll have to add that to the playlist for us. Yeah, okay. just you know, some some quiet evermore from from T Swift and put you to sleep while you're running. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, and then so um, we always ask this one too, and. It's fine if you don't have anything for us, but if you could run with one person in the history of the world, even if they aren't a runner, you know, we'll say they're going to run with you and keep your pace up. Uh, who would it be? Uh, I don't know. I, I can't think of anything off the yeah. top of my head. It's a pretty open-ended question. There's about a hundred billion possible answers. So. Yeah. No. All right. Nothing no comes wor- to mind. Yeah. No worries on that. And um, so wrap things up kind of here you got any sponsors you'd like to shout out anybody you'd like to say thank you to in general absolutely no sponsors so yeah um random sponsors if you if you want to support me in my running feel free to give me some money um in terms of the people i want to give a shout out to just all the folks that helped me out um all the happy trails folks that helped me out uh, in the backyard you guys know who you are um you were invaluable those last handful of hours just kept me going and kept me from falling apart into a pathetic mess of nothingness so i very much appreciate you rubbing my feet and getting me food and ice packs and all that stuff absolutely and i will also say you know especially insole company sponsors right like this guy is going to tell people they got to buy two pairs of them from i mean come on the the sales return on that alone like i can't insole yes yeah it's just that's Hey, they're leaving money on the table. I'll tell them that. I'll, I'll uh, send an email to Dr. Scholes to see if I can get anything out of that. Be interesting sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> just when you need that extra cushion for ultra running. Uh-huh. Um, gel pack to just burst. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting to see how those things would hold up in a... <laughs> in a running shoe, yeah. I think they would deteriorate very fast. Um. Before we get out of here tonight, um, I want to show we got a new movie coming out, short film tomorrow. Um, it's about Promised Land, and it's Wesley's little baby fil- short film that he's been very happy about. Um, I think it's fantastic. We're just going to play a short little teaser tr- to that, and then we'll come back and we'll close out this show. So we're going to jump over there, and we'll be right back. Oops, played the wrong. It's an outstanding field. I think it's the toughest field we've ever had. I think there's a good chance that uh, the course, will be, course record will be broken. And same thing goes true for the men. But a uh, lot of interesting ladies uh, be racing along. So there's going to be a lot of pain. All right, and we're back. That's a short, short, like I said, short little teaser. It's awesome. It's coming out tomorrow. What time, Cam? Uh, 8 p.m. Eastern yes. time. <laughs> 8 p.m. Eastern you time. You way off guard there, GD. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. That was the whole point of that one. Um, so, yeah, like 8 p.m. tomorrow night. Check it out. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, we we're super excited about it. But uh, thanks, everyone, tonight for tuning into this episode of Rich Runners Live. Um, it's been amazing. Uh Chris, you've been awesome guests. It's been awesome to hear about your story from Capital Backyard. An amazing assist. Um, Thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Um, let's see here. That's pretty much it. So, uh, everyone, if you're not subscribed yet and you appreciate what we're doing and like what we're doing or something like that, please go ahead and give us a subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Um, we'll put all the links in the description below for places to follow Chris, places to go look for his stuff, his trail running blog, all that kind of stuff will be out there. And um, we'll see you all next I apologize. Next- <laughs> don't, don't read too much into that blog. <laughs> I mean, it is called the Lazy Ultra Runner, which uh, I love that name. That's great. Um, but as a, um, lost my train of thought there, just completely gone. Um, yeah, so that's it. We'll wrap this episode up and we'll see you all next week on the next Returners Live. Returner Nation, 
thank you again for tuning into another Ridge Runners live show. Remember, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out as well. If you don't follow us on social media, make sure to give us a follow. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, join our Strava Club so you can get mentioned in the Strava Rundown every single week. We'll see you next week, Rosanna Nation. Nation.